Our reading today is from Galatians 3 verses 1 to 5. The word of God. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before those your eyes, Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law? Or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun with the Spirit, are you now ending it with the flesh? Did you experience so many things in vain? If it really is in vain, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law? Or by hearing with faith? Amen. And may God add his blessing to this reading of his holy word. In her book, Teaching a Stone to Talk, Annie Dillard reveals a sad but poignant story about what happens when we set out unprepared. She tells of a British Antarctic expedition which set sail in 1845 to chart the Northwest Passage around the Canadian Arctic to the Pacific Ocean. Neither of the two ships and none of the 138 men aboard ever returned. Captain Sir John Franklin prepared as if they were embarking on a pleasure cruise rather than an arduous and gruelling journey through one of Earth's most hostile environments. He packed a 1200 volume library, a hand organ, china place settings for officers and men, cut glass wine goblets and sterling silver flatware, beautifully and intricately designed. Years later, some of these place settings would be found near a clump of frozen, cannibalised bodies. The voyage was doomed when the ship set sail into frigid waters and became trapped in ice. First ice coated the decks, the spars and the rigging. Then water froze around the rudders and the ships became hopelessly locked in the now frozen Arctic Sea. Sailors set out to search for help, but soon succumbed to the weather and died of exposure to its harsh winds and sub-freezing temperatures. For some 20 years, remains of the expeditions were found all over the frozen landscape. The crew did not prepare either for the cold or for the eventuality of the ships becoming ice-locked. On a voyage which was to last two or three years, they packed only their navy uniforms and the captain carried just a 12-day supply of coal for the auxiliary steam engines. The frozen body of an officer was eventually found miles from the vessel, wearing his uniform of fine blue cloth edged with silk braid, a blue grey coat and a silk handkerchief, clothing which was noble and respectful, but totally inadequate. As we enter chapter 3 of the Galatians, I want to focus on five verses that generally highlight once again the unbelievable foolishness of the Galatian church. To recap, we remember that the Galatians had an issue with Paul. Some people were telling other people that he didn't have any authority and we saw how Paul giving account of himself justified to them that he was God sent and not man sent. You remember how in his opening he claimed to be not from man or through man but sent by Jesus Christ and God the Father. A marvellous, astonishing opening, testifying to his very character and purpose. 
You'll recall how Paul was utterly astonished at the lack of faith in the original gospel that the Galatian churches had received from him. And how he was so terribly pained by the fact that a number of the congregations had turned away from it to focus more on the work they did. Focus more on their acts than their faith. Even some had resorted to adopting the old traditions of the Jewish faith. Some went so far as to believe that you could not be accepted by Jesus unless you were circumcised or you respected certain festivals and feasts that were no longer necessary as Paul was teaching under the grace of God. And we also focused lastly on the importance of the poor. The apostles in Jerusalem had given Paul on his newfound role as minister and preacher to the Gentiles one commission to always, always remember the poor. The poor in spirit, the financially poor and the poor in mind. That was to be the signal of his ministry and as we hear he was, and it says in chapter ten, sorry, verse 10, chapter 2, I was eager to do that. He was eager to set out and remember the poor in his ministry. Now, I'm not going to lie that I'm finding some of the themes of the first three chapters of this letter very repetitive. If I wanted to, I could easily be able to repack and rehash the last four sermons and talk about once again the importance of the gospel, that is the only gospel, that it's directly from God and that it fulfills the, the law rather than replaces it. Generally speaking, I think this is not a mistake. I think Paul asserts to us deliberately, quite deliberately, over and over again, that the power is in the strength and the grace of the gospel and nothing else. So tonight we go from astonishment to full-on criticism of the foolishness of Galatia and their activities. Several things made the Galatians foolish. They've had the doctrine of the cross preached and the Lord's Supper administered and they are still intrinsically and specifically aware of his crucifixion and they know, they know like it's second nature, the nature of his suffering. And now they thought that they were partakers in the Holy Spirit because they used the law as the primary source of salvation. That their acts meant that their lack of wisdom, their foolishness was able to be put on full display for everyone to see. And Paul was most displeased. You foolish Galatians, he starts off this chapter. I want to specifically think about the theme of foolishness versus wisdom tonight and explore the idea of biblical wisdom because through and within biblical wisdom and the taking on of Christian understanding of that wisdom do we fully flow into the riches of Christ. For centuries man has always believed that they've known better than God, that they've had everything under control. The story we heard at the beginning of this sermon, the sailors packed only little things because they weren't wise enough to consider obstacles. It was great that they had a piano and it was great that they had a 1200 volume library where they could 
relax back on the journey and read. It was great that their beautiful uniforms displayed nobility and rank, but served no purpose, no purpose, when it came to life or death. And that is a metaphor for the same thing that Paul is talking about here. The people he's speaking to believe that outwardness and what they do has the ability to save them. Where in reality, just like those sailors, it doesn't protect them from the cold. It doesn't feed them when they're hungry. It doesn't do anything to give them the grace of Christ. The Titanic going full steam ahead to make sure it reached New York to make the headlines, sacrificing the knowledge of the vulnerable icy water surrounding it. And the people on board forgot the darkness of a moonless night. But even God could not sink this ship, proclaimed the builders of the unsinkable ship. And yet, on a night in 1912, sorry, 1914, was it 1912? It was 1912. April the 14th, 1912. That ship struck an iceberg. Unpredicted. Unthinkable. Unsinkable ship. The banks, lending money like it was free to everyone despite the fact that they couldn't afford it. Friends, there is contact centres and branches of banks right now who are placing people in debt because it knocks up their productivity numbers. It shows that they're progressing. It makes them think that on paper they have a profit. People were mortgaged to their throats, confined to spend an eternity in a money prison tied to a property worth more than they could pay for, having protection policies sold to them because it was the right thing to do at the time, the banks relishing in the income from an insurance policy that could never be claimed on, are doing exactly the same thing now, believe me. And it will end up in the exact same way. That is the definition of foolishness. Governments pursuing wealth of oil in the Middle East didn't consider that removing dictators just meant that another three dictators would grow like a hydra. And so with the destruction of Iraq and the Western support for the awakening of the Islamic world enters ISIS and Al-Qaeda and Al-Shabaab in every other terrorist organisation in the Middle East. And here, in our biblical account by Paul, a region is blessed with apostolic preaching friends. How would you love for the Apostle Paul to stand in your pulpits and preach the gospel? That's what happened in Galatia. And yet they resorted to their old knowledge reporting that their old ways were the best ways, that they knew what they were doing, that going over the same old thing day in and day out without thinking about what the gospel told them, 
that they could rehash and reinterpret and remould and retune it to suit what was comfortable for them. Yet not recognising the blessings that it gave them. Friends, wisdom is the most lacking quality of humanity because we forgot where it begins. The Galatians and what we've read, the foolish Galatians as Paul calls them, forgot clean all about it. Forgot clean all about the wisdom, the godly Christ-like wisdom that's contained in the gospel. They forgot. Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? He is telling them, he actually believes someone must have bewitched them. It's so foolish. They must be under a curse or a spell because it's so daft that they could leave behind this gospel. The gospel before whose eyes was Christ betrayed amongst you as crucified, he tells them. Which one of you actually saw it happen and still, still, you still don't believe it and you still don't accept it even though you saw it. The basis for this, Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of the wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. These Christians, brothers and sisters, had no fear. They had no respect for the original truth they were given. They had seen with their very eyes, some of them, the crucified Christ, they saw the pain and his punishment. They prayed with him on the mountains around Jerusalem. They saw him preach the Sermon on the Mount. They saw him heal. They heard him say the most astonishing things they would be ever likely to hear in all of their lives. And yet they are reducing that glory, that salvation to statutory means and circumcisions as guarantees to access grace. And we do the same. We think that doing things, taking responsibility, looking after Sunday school or youth groups or Bible studies, giving a better offering than the person next to you is great in contribution to the grace we've received, but it does nothing. We are not owed this grace. That's the point. How can it be that you're saved by grace but need to do things now to continually receive it? Verse 3, are you foolish? That you began in the spirit and then could be made by perfect by the flesh? Are you stupid? It's a scathing discipline from a minister to his congregation. Stop thinking that all this you're doing, all this stuff that doesn't glorify God, doesn't put Christ first, earns you more grace. As believers, all we are asked to do, all that Christ asked us to do, all that we need to do to receive God's favour is belief in his son. John eleven twenty five. Turn with me. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live. Turn back to John 5, verse 24. Truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment. Indeed, he has crossed over from death to life. Do you see that? Death to life. Not the other way about. Colossians. Hang on. Colossians. Chapter 3 verse 4. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him 
and glory. That is what is at stake for the Galatians. This understanding of the gospel. And even before Christ, God gave grace and righteousness to those who held belief in him through faith. Now remember, Christ belonged with God at the very start. He wasn't a created being. He is set apart from creation. He existed with God before time. We can hear that in John's Gospel. Let's read it again. John's Gospel, the most beautiful verse, the most beautiful interpretation of God that I probably could ever read. In the beginning was the Word. I'm going to replace the Word with Jesus, okay? In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. Jesus was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness does not comprehend it. Abraham, verse 6, believed in God and it was accounted to him righteousness. Galatians 3, verse 6. Abraham had millions of reasons not to believe God, not to step out in faith. Recall the promise made to him. An old man, that his descendants will be as many as the stars in the sky. And here he is. An old man with an old wife being told that his children will be as many as the stars in the skies. And he had the choice to believe or not to believe that. But he had faith. He didn't adopt a routine to ensure his wife was at the right point in her cycle to conceive. He didn't work extra hours. He didn't change his diet to stay virile. He didn't do anything different what he did do is have the wisdom to believe. Brothers and sisters, this wisdom is lacking today. Every day of our lives we see families completely torn apart and friends self-obsessed with image, hoping that it will give them a happier life. They don't know Jesus. Wisdom is fear of the Lord. Wisdom is the time when you get down on your knees because you have no other option but to ask God for forgiveness. There in Proverbs 9.10, Solomon, who was the wisest man on earth, at least until Christ came, said that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Where there is fear, there tends to be obedience. And if we turn to 1 Samuel 15.22, turn with me. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. Later on, Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. The Lord is saying to us, he desires your love. Your love and your faith. He doesn't need you to do anything. It doesn't matter how many lambs you sacrificed, he's telling the Israelites, don't, I don't care how many lambs and cows or whatever you want to sacrifice. I just desire your love. Stop running away from me. Stop pretending. Have the knowledge of God, Hosea says, rather than just offer up burnt offerings. It's the same. Every single aspect of the Old Testament stories show us that the, that the Israelites focused more on what they did 
than focus on faith in God. Moses went up the top of Sinai and down they come and there they have built a golden God to pray to because it's easier to do that than put your faith in God. Obedience comes before understanding and when someone obeys what they know to be true, understanding usually follows. Wisdom begins with reverence for God and a fear for him and his word, this book, the Bible. We have to have a fear for it. We have to treat it with respect. When it comes into your church, why are you not silent? This is the very presence of God. This is the word that was with God. He wants our steadfast love, not our works. He wants our every hope, every ambition to be in him and not in the world. He wants to partake. He wants us to partake rather in the glory forever as our inheritance. Wisdom, friends, is the reverence for the gospel. Wisdom, as Paul would define it, is a true and everlasting faith in Jesus and his grace by suffering. You got his grace because he suffered for you. Simple as that. You are not able to add or take away anything. It is amazing. This is the only religion, the only religion that tells you, that actually tells you that you do not need to do anything to be with Jesus other than have faith and even at that your faith has been promised to you from the very beginning because you were signalled out before you were knitted in your mother's womb to be a follower of Christ. Verse 13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Christ has said, my children, you can't imagine that you can manage this on your own. You cannot fulfil my father's law, so I will fulfil it for you. I will give you my love and my grace and my holiness and I'll give you all of it and I will clothe you with it and you can take part in it with me. I will stand here, I will hang on this cross as a replacement for you. That is the opposite of trusting in any man-made gospel. That really, as Paul would put it, not any gospel anyway. The gospel of Jesus Christ preached by the apostle to the Galatians is the hope and the truth we have today. Psalm 118, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than trust in man. So if you've found yourself this week wondering what you're doing to serve Christ, Take comfort, brothers and sisters, that you, if your faith is strong, if you can take comfort, even though it might be the size of a mustard seed, if your faith is strong and you can pray fervently that God will grow your wisdom in your faith so that you can exercise it the way Paul is speaking here, then you are on a good path. Philippians chapter 2 verse 2. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Be together. Don't be rival, don't have rivalry or conceit. Be humble and count others more significant than yourselves. This is Jesus. These are the, these are the qualities of Jesus. Now, my church right now is looking for a minister one day. And when we all imagine 
what our minister is going to be. This is the kind of person you would want to lead you. Someone who will show you that it's joyful to be of one accord and of the same mind. That isn't conceited and is humble and allows you as a congregation to put those outside of the church walls in a higher place than those inside of the church walls. Let each of you look not only to your own interests but also to the interests of others. Have this mind amongst yourself which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Be like God, be like Jesus. Now today there might be one of you in your church needing your reassurance. They might be needing your love. They might be feeling separated, feeling out of place, torn, upset and abashed. Don't sit in church tomorrow and say you're a Christian if you're not reaching out to that person. That's the wisdom of the gospel. Continually do it. To the people you don't love, at least show it. Try to show it. Because that is an act in itself. You might not love them deeply, but showing them love is just the same. Reach out and do Christ's love in the gospel. Forget about the rules. There isn't any rules when it comes to loving one another. It's not the law you're here to stick by. It's the love of Christ. Because any other way is just not possible. In this gospel, you are justified by your faith alone. And one day, that faith will take you and will raise up your body from the dead to meet him in the air. And it will be your faith that unites with him to spend eternity with him in glory. First Thessalonians. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Brothers and sisters, imagine that. Caught up in the clouds to meet him. And so we will be with him always. Paul's plea here in these five verses is the same plea to us. Be of one mind. Be fearful of the Lord. Don't, ex don't adopt the ways of the world. Be a church be a Christian that stands out, that is in the world but is not of the world. Go out and proclaim the gospel of Jesus every day. And it doesn't need to be by speaking to people. Let your faith enhance the work that you do and not the other way about. Amen. <laughs>